Thank you, Ross, and good morning, everybody. Wow, I'm so glad you made it here and that you weren't blown away from the wind from the last few days. And we're all hoping that it's gonna bring some rain as well. But so wonderful to get together. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen, and I'm so privileged to serve and lead here at Riverside Community Church. And I am about to reveal my inner geek again. Yeah, all right. So I did fairly well at mathematics in high school. I wish I did better. Maybe I could have worked harder, but I actually do like the things of science and the things of maths. And it turns out my kids do as well because we have some very interesting conversations about mathematics. And uh, I've realized that once you get past some of the basics in mathematics, you get some really, really interesting stuff, which maybe at first may appear not to make a whole lot of sense. And so often on the way to school, my kids will ask me questions like, Dad, what is infinity divided by zero? And I'm like, <laughs> Okay, let's try to think about these things. And then often we will go and we'll find an explanation to these things. We'll talk about it. I mean, the one day, I kid you not, we sat and we watched the entire video as to why some infinities are bigger than other infinities. Let that warp your mind. All right, so the reason why I bring this up is because we are going to be starting a new series today on the book of Galatians. What we often like to do here at Riverside Community Church is take a book of the Bible, be it Old Testament or New Testament, and work through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, sometimes at a fast or a medium or a slow pace. The advantage of doing things this way is because sometimes Scripture is going to lead us to talk about something that maybe ordinarily I wouldn't choose to speak about. And so in many ways, God's Word sets the agenda for us. And I think we can attest to the fact that often God's word, even though we go through it in this step-by-step way, has always been so timely. And at the heart of the book of Galatians, I believe is an equation which at first glance doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But as we look into it, which we're gonna start doing today, we're gonna see that it is such a beautiful and such a mind blowing truth. And that equation is this, and write it down, keep it in the back of your mind. We're gonna bring it up every single week. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I heard someone say it this way, that when Jesus is all you have, then you begin to realize that Jesus is all you need. Here's the equation put another way. Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Same equation looked at two different angles. So keep this in mind as we begin to read. We're gonna be starting right at the beginning as we've been through this Bible reading. Crib always wonderful if you're able to follow on your own, see the verses underlined, put some notations in there, take them home, read around, take it further into your heart. But we're gonna be reading from verse one where Paul says this, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. There was not a single church in this area, rather a number of churches that Paul has started. 
grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Focus on the next few words, defining who this Lord Jesus Christ is and what He has done. Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul very intentionally defines the person and work of Jesus this way early on in this chapter for reasons that I'm going to unfold. Now, we're going to kind of look at the whole chapter this morning, but the focus is going to be on the next few verses, chapter, verses six to 10. Paul says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people into confusion. We're gonna talk about these people who are throwing this church into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to, be, to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I don't know if you picked this up, but right off the bat, Paul is worked up. Paul is animated, and maybe you're even picking up that Paul is more than a little bit tense. If you've ever read, read some of Paul's other letters, the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philippians, often the way Paul starts off is he identifies himself in a similar way that he did over here, and then he goes into a kind of a long conversation around blessings, maybe some just rich theology, and then saying things like, every time I think about you, I, I pray for you. I'm so pleased to hear about you. I'm so pleased to hear about your faith. Here are the kinds of things I pray for you when I think about you. That's often the tone with which Paul starts. I don't know if you've ever got an SMS where, or an email where someone says, oh, hi, and then dive straight into business. And you're like, what have I done wrong? Well, that's exactly what Paul is doing here intentionally. He is upset and he's diving straight into talking about why he is upset, which is kind of weird. Because I know in church, we wanna come and we wanna be encouraged we want to be given some hope. We want to be told Eggbok. Anyone know what Eggbok stands for? Everything's going to be okay. And yet here Paul is taking up quite a tone right from the beginning. You know, one of the greatest verses that help us understand the purpose of Scripture is 2 Timothy 3 verses 16. And I'm not gonna read it, but the words will be on the screen behind me. And Paul helps us understand the purpose of Scripture. And we see in these verses that sometimes Scripture is there for us to teach, which is why we do what we're doing. Sometimes Scripture is there to equip us for our purposes in the kingdom of God. And that is why we're doing our Discipleship Equip series. 
Sometimes scripture is there to rebuke us, to confront our wrong behavior. And sometimes scripture is there to correct us, to confront our wrong thinking. And Paul is in correction mode right from the beginning. And we're gonna see why in a second. But sometimes, even though it's not always comfortable, Sometimes we need this kind of tone to wake us up, to shake us up out of whatever ruts we're in. If you haven't noticed, we are in a very strange world. We have lost all ability to think clearly and to communicate well with one another, especially when there are things that we differ about. And that kind of makes this idea of, well, what is the truth? Or maybe idea of correction that makes it really tricky for us. But as we look around the world, and this is found in the church and outside of the church, there's kind of two big reactions going on. And the one is, listen, you you people who think you've got the truth, listen, wake up. We're in a post-colonial world, which is true. We're in a world where we realize the whole world is not defined by kind of Western philosophy, which is true. There are a whole lot of other cultures out there with beauty in them and some great traditional practices in there, which is all true and wonderful. And then they make one more step. Therefore, who are you to say what is true? So just chill. You've got your truth. That's fine. I've got my truth. So that's kind of one way of responding to the climate that's going on at the moment. The other way is that when anyone differs with you on anything, vaccines, all right, I'm grateful that conversation is going. Masks, I'm grateful that conversation is gone. How to cook your steak, scripture, whatever. When anyone disagrees with you, we go straight to war and we fight and we defend every single tiny little detail. Now, clearly Paul is worked up. So maybe this is the right response or or maybe it's not. Let's think about this a little bit more. See, one side so wishy-washy, they don't even know what's true. This other side is like a theological rage monster that gets upset with anyone who disagrees with them. But let's try and understand the reason Paul is so worked up. The reason Paul is so worked up is not because the Galatians are maybe thinking differently about a secondary issue in the gospel. The Galatians aren't like, you know, sometimes there are some very difficult, weighty theological issues in Scripture, and you can listen to someone argue persuasively one way, and you're like, okay, I think they're right. And then you listen to somebody else who speaks as persuasively another direction, and that just leaves us confused. That's not what's going on here. The reason Paul is so animated and so worked up is because at issue here is the bullseye of our faith, the gospel itself. On average, I find Paul pretty gracious in some of these other areas. But I would argue both Jesus and Paul get pretty worked up when it comes to issues of the gospel itself. Listen to what he says in verse six. He says, this is a different gospel. 
Not just a different perspective. Oh, well, you've got your truth, I've got mine. No, this is a different gospel. Verse seven, this is no gospel at all. Later in verse seven, this is a perversion. Verse eight and nine, if anyone preaches something other than what I've preached, let them be under God's curse. This is the strongest language that Paul can think of to express where he's coming from. So listen, if you've never kind of read through the scriptures verse by verse, I don't know if Galatians is the easiest one to start off with because you're gonna feel like a spanked child. And so there's maybe two ways that we can respond to this. One way might be, whew, Paul, somebody never had their coffee. Let's just give you some time. Let's just go to the book of Philippians and we'll kind of you know, feel encouraged again. That's one way. Another way is... Um, I'm sure you've been in a situation, maybe you in a, in a position of leadership or in a position where you're parents and something goes wrong with the people who are under you and you know how dangerous it is that the path they're on and you get worked up and you try to communicate this and because they're just not there yet, they've got no idea why you are so worked up. And so you say to yourself, well, one day they will get it. And so one way is we can say, Paul's just having a tantrum, let's ignore that. Or we can respond by saying, well, maybe Paul knows what, what we don't. Maybe Paul is right to be so worked up and, and, and maybe we'll mature into this and start to get it. And I hope we can do that. But I do just, before we dive into the real issues, we're not only living 2,000 years ago, we're living today. And so I wanna speak into some of what I see going on around us today. And when it comes to defending even the gospel, I think there are a couple of errors that we can fall into and that can really cause unnecessary division in the church, which as far as Jesus is concerned, is one of the greatest things he prayed for before he went to heaven. So this is important. You see, what some people do is they make a non-gospel issue a gospel issue. I don't know if you've ever been on YouTube or listened to a podcast or listened to a pastor and they bring up some other issue and they say, guys, 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 if we don't believe this doctrine this way, whoa, whoa, we need to be really concerned because the gospel is at stake. It's like a trump card. The minute I say the gospel is at stake, I can put that on anything. Now, regardless, I'm gonna use some controversial subjects here. So regardless of what you think about these subjects, what some people will say is they'll say, well, if you don't believe that the earth is 6,000 years old, well, I, I don't even know if you trust the Bible and therefore I don't even know if you're a Christian. Oh, the gospel's at stake. Or if you don't believe my particular view of the end times or if you don't believe my particular view about the Holy Spirit, whoa, 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 I don't even know if you're a Christian. The gospel is at stake here. Now the truth is we've tried to be so clear on this here at Riverside. The truth is there are primary issues and the gospel is the primary of primary issues. But then there are secondary issues and tertiary issues about which we can hold convictions and about which we can have great 
dialogue as we learn and grow together, even if we come from different positions. And some of these issues are big. Some of them are important. Maybe they're incredibly important to you, but they're not gospel issues. So we need to learn how to be charitable with one another in those places. So that's one way that people do this. See, Paul reserves this kind of concern only for when the gospel itself is under threat. But another way that people do this is to over-define the gospel. What do I mean by that? If you're ever really bored and nothing on Netflix is catching your attention, just go to Bible Gateway or any Bible software and type in the word gospel and start studying the way the scriptures refer to that word. Try not to import everything you think you know about the gospel. Let the study inform how the scriptures see the gospel and you're gonna start seeing a number of things. The one thing you're gonna see is that the scriptures don't always define the gospel in the same narrow way. And so rather than a narrow view of the way the word gospel is used in scripture, rather we have, I'll use two metaphors, a kaleidoscope of the one thing. The, the, the metaphor we've used here at Riverside is like holding up a multifaceted gem. And, and when you look at the gem from this angle, oh man, it is so beautiful. But then, then you turn it and you see it from another angle and the light just moves in a different way. And well, that equally looks beautiful. And so the way the scriptures speak about the gospel is helping us shine different lights on different angles onto this big thing called the gospel. But so often what happens is we will choose our favorite angle of the gospel. And if anyone believes differently, well, I don't know if they believe the gospel. Now, if you do go and study the gospel, as I've suggested, you're gonna see that there are a number of ways, and here are some of the main ways, not all of them. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you're gonna talk about the gospel of the kingdom of God. This is the gospel that Jesus is king, and that Jesus is God rightfully taking his place again as king amongst his people. Then we've got the gospel of justification by faith. That we see in Romans and Galatians. This is where we stand in the courtroom before the Lord. And then he, because we are in Christ, who is the perfect one, he declares us innocent, even though we're guilty. We are justified. Then we've got the gospel of Christus Victor, or the victory of Christ. We see this, for example, in the gospels, in the book of Colossians where on the cross and Jesus' subsequent victorious resurrection, Jesus defeated our enemies. Death, sin, Satan, and all of his demons. Then we've got the gospel of reconciliation, which is this idea that sin separates me from the Father, and Jesus, by shedding his blood on the cross, enables me to be reconciled back into relationship with God the Father. Then we've got the gospel of redemption where Jesus Christ pays the price for our sins or the gospel of atonement where Christ's death is an atoning sacrifice covering our sins with his blood in our place. So if you had to say, Paul, well, which of these metaphors is the main gospel? Paul's answer would be yes. So on one hand, We've got this 
gemstone that has boundaries, that helps us see just different angles of what God did in Christ, aka the gospel. And then there are things that fall outside of that barrier that are no longer the gospel and threatens the gospel. Let me use this metaphor for those whom it'll help. I am unashamedly a rocker. And that not just because I study geology, but because I like rock music. All right, I figured that out pretty early on in life. And so when you think about, well, what is rock music? I mean, there's so many varieties of rock music, but at the end of the day, the electric guitar is at the center of what it means to have rock music. So you can have pop rock going back a few years, like the Beatles. You can have metal rock like Metallica. You can have ballad rock like Bon Jovi, Aerosmith. You can add alternative rock, progressive rock, indie rock, electro rock. And maybe you prefer one type of rock like punk rock and you don't like ballad rock and that's okay. But it's all rock. Now imagine someone came up to me and said, hey Steve, I heard you like rock. I also like rock. You know what my favorite rock band is? Beyonce. I'm like, I'll judge you quietly in my heart. <laughs> and you can say what you want, but that ain't rock music. Doesn't matter which way you look at it. So, how do we figure this out? Maybe a good biblical perspective of the gospel, which is true and helpful and comes from different angles, or the line where Jesus and Paul get worked up. Well, when you look at these different angles, just two quick things, sorry, three quick things. The first is the revelation that scripture provides. This is how we know this stuff. We don't go in a cave and try and figure it out. Paul says in these following verses, in verse 11, I didn't make this stuff up. It was revealed to me. That is one of the things that the scriptures are. They are a revelation. They reveal what I would not ordinarily know. And so all of these wonderful angles of the gospel that I spoke about earlier are all in here and can be highlighted from here, not in competition with each other, but supporting this beautiful emerging picture of what God has done in Jesus Christ. The revelation scripture provides. Secondly, what we're gonna see in all of these biblical angles of the gospel is the centrality of who Jesus is. In all of these angles, the scriptures are united on the fact that Jesus is the divine son of God who has eternally been the divine son of God who took on human flesh. And competing views of the gospel is going to do some injustice. Every cult, every false religion usually removes or adds to this idea of who Jesus is. And thirdly, the sufficiency of what Jesus has done. And we're gonna see this in the book of Galatians. But any gospel that doesn't rest and rely solely and fully 
on the sufficiency, meaning what Jesus has done is enough. He's going to add from or remove from the work of the gospel. And this is why Paul is so worked up. So if there is a line, where is this line? And how can we discern maybe when some of our current day gospels, because there are so many out there, are crossing the kind of line that Paul's getting worked up about? Well, let me take you back, and sorry for giving you a history lesson 25 minutes into the sermon, but let's take you back into what's going on here. As I mentioned earlier, Paul had started a whole lot of churches in the region of Galatia. He went back to Jerusalem, and then he had heard about a group of people known as Judaizers. And they were converted Jews, most likely converted Pharisees, like Paul, And they were going into these churches and using their position and their influence to teach about the gospel. Well, one of the things they were doing is, yes, Christ is the Messiah. What Jesus has done on the cross for us is beautiful and powerful and is necessary for our salvation. But if you want to be a real Christian, not only must you trust Christ, you must also obey every law of the Old Testament. Now, some Jews becoming Christians, it's okay to say, well, I like kosher food laws. I like my hairstyle. I like doing life the way I'm doing it. So Paul doesn't have an issue with the fact that some Jews maybe still live according to the law. In fact, Paul sometimes did. Paul obeyed some of the Jewish calendar. Paul sometimes obeyed some of the Jewish sacrifices. Paul even said, to win those under the law, I became like one as under the law. So Paul's not concerned that some people still adhere to some of the Old Testament laws. He's concerned about why. Because they were saying, this is a matter of real faith. You are not a real Christian if you only trust in Christ. You have to fulfill your righteousness by obeying the law, which is hard enough if you're a Jew and very painful if you're a Gentile. Hear what I'm saying? This is why Paul's saying this is a different gospel because Jesus plus Moses equals nothing. Not just a difference of opinion. Remember those words? This is a perversion. This is no gospel at all. This is a completely different gospel. Jesus plus Moses equals nothing. Some of you may have been exposed to what is known as the Hebrew Roots Movement, which is dangerously stepping on this exact territory. Hear Paul's response. But not only do we do that with the law, we say things like, if you want to get saved, yes, you need to trust Jesus, but you must also become a Baptist. Or you must also use my Bible translation. Or you must also speak in tongues. Or you must also, and then we start adding to. Now, some of these are good things that are gonna be a natural and even a necessary outworking of our faith. That's not what Paul's upset about. But when we make these non-gospel issues a gospel issue, it becomes Jesus plus. And Paul says, when you go Jesus plus, Anything, what you get is nothing. 
Because the truth of the gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let me give you two big last thoughts as to why Paul is so worked up about this, why he's willing to get so passionate about this. And by the way, he continues throughout this book, kind of starts relaxing in chapter five. In verse four, he talks about Jesus who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. You see, Paul knows that the real gospel, this is not just about an idea or a debate or a perspective. The real gospel, Paul knows, is the gospel that saves. The real gospel, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The real gospel saves. That's why he says this false gospel is a false gospel. It is a no gospel. It is nonsense. It is a perversion. The real gospel is the one that saves. Now, <laughs> if you've been in church, you might know there's a huge debate about faith. Because Jesus does his saving work and I'm gonna put my faith in him and people love debating about whether I'm putting my faith in Jesus is a work if I'm adding my works to Jesus. Here's how I like to just think maybe too simply about this. Let's say I'm lost in the middle of the ocean. And if you've ever been on a cruise line or a boat or just looked out the, the um, airplane window when you're flying over the ocean, I mean, that space is massive. No wonder ships can get lost. And imagine they just managed to track me down. And then a chopper comes and flies over me and drops down a ladder and someone climbs down to me and they intend to clip me up. And at some point, I've got to look up at them and say, are these the good guys or the bad guys? Because if they're the bad guys, I'll take my chances with the sharks. But if the good guys, I'm gonna place my trust in them, allow myself to get clipped up. And let's say for whatever reason, you start telling people your story, you stand on a platform like this, you're not gonna go, guys, you know the most amazing thing? My faith. I, I trusted, the, I was so clever, I was so wise to trust these people. No, oh, I'm so grateful. I don't know how these guys found me. They worked endless hours, 24 hours a day to find me. And they risked everything to come and save me. I don't glory in what I've done. The real gospel saves. So here's the first real question to make it personal. Do you believe the real gospel? Here's what I'm not asking. Do you go to church? Do you try to be a good person? Do you tick the Christian box when there's a box to be ticked? I'm not asking those questions. Here is the essence of what I'm asking. I'm not even asking if you can even articulate the real gospel in a Bible study. I know what the real gospel is. That's wonderful. I'm asking is, do you believe it? In English, the words believe and trust seem like two very different words. In Greek, they're pretty much the same word. See, at some point, I've got to move from, oh, wow. Here's someone from the Air Force coming to save me. I know him. His name's Fred. And I, I know the name of that chopper and I know exactly how many kilometers they made it out to be here. At some point, I've got to say, am I willing to trust them 
And the demonstration of their trust is when I place my entire well-being in their hands. Do you trust this Jesus? Have you placed your trust in him? That's what it means to believe. It's not about this abstract truth. Atheists love bringing this to us, saying, oh, you know, just because you believe this versus that, that's gonna mean you go to heaven or hell. No, have you trusted Jesus? And have you lost all trust in everything else? Number two, the real gospel changes lives. In the next few verses, Paul talks about how soon after he was saved and he unpacks that. You can go read it for yourself, very interesting. He talks about how he went to visit some churches and they were freaked out because, you know, before Paul got saved, he was very religious. He was a religious Jew, but he was kind of like a Jewish ISIS. No jokes. I mean, imagine being in the Middle East a number of years ago and, and, and you're afraid for your life because, you know, they're not friendly to Christians and you're in your house, church, and the next minute you hear a knock on the door and there coming into your house is Osama bin Laden. I'm no, not kidding. That's exactly how these churches felt. But this is what Paul has to say. Verse 23 and 24. He says, they only heard the report and, and this is what he says. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. See, the gospel didn't make Paul just a, a slightly better person. Paul didn't choose Christ to become healthy and, and wealthy because this was convenience or became, you know, his new comfort blanket in his life. Paul encountered Jesus in such a way that everything he thought was true about God and Jesus and his faith he was persecuting in life itself, he was confronted with just how wrong he had been in his heart. So Paul didn't have to modify his life slightly. Paul, using his own language, had to die. This is why one of the metaphors for our salvation is being born again. See, Paul went from persecuting Christians for their faith to being persecuted for his own faith. Paul went from destroying churches to planting churches and ultimately paying the ultimate price for his faith in Christ. And so let's get real. Let's bring it to you. Here's the second question. Question one was, do you believe? Meaning, do you trust Jesus, the point and the focus of the real gospel. Question number two, has the gospel made any difference to your life? Look what it did to the life of Paul. Now, Paul's life transformation happened really, really quickly. If we look at the person of Peter, man, he was like stumbling forward. He would be passionate about Jesus and then make some mistakes and stumble forward again and then make some more mistakes. Maybe that's more like us. Yet, Peter's life, Paul's life, the life of people who have encountered the living Jesus in the truth of the gospel, their lives have been changed. Now, I am not gonna play judge and jury, but one of the questions that scripture asks us to ask of ourselves, as painful as it may be, is if I can't answer question two, maybe I should go back to question one. Have I simply been playing the Christian game? Now, I'm not saying the answer is a definitive yes or no. 
It's between you and God. He says we need to work out our own faith with fear and trembling. Now I know that some of you are still figuring this out. Maybe some of you are saying, Stephen, I just, man, I'm so grateful for just waking me up today and just my faith is a real thing. It's a central thing. I love the gospel and, and I love who Jesus is and, and what he's done for me and, and I just love the fire in my heart. I know that maybe some of us are here saying, Stephen, I'm still figuring things out. Just give me some time. Give me some space. I still don't know, you know, Jesus or maybe some of the other things that are happening in the world at the moment or maybe some other forms of religions or some of these religions are quite honestly, you put a few in a blender, you see what comes out. I don't know. Well, that's fine. All I want to say, if that's where you are at, is can you hear the urgency in Paul's tone? Once again, this is not simply a philosophical idea about which we ruminate for the rest of our lives. This is life. So it's so appropriate that for us today, we, we come to the table. The table being just a beautiful physical way of tangibly engaging the reality of the gospel. You've heard it and quite literally you're gonna taste and see that the gospel is good. As you take of the bread which represents Christ's broken body, broken for our sins in our place. As you take the little cup of grape juice representing Christ's blood shed on the cross for our sins just a physical way of experiencing the gospel. As we do this, I'm gonna leave verse four on the screen. The opening way that Paul defined the person in the work of Jesus who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And so as we respond once again, Please don't respond out of religious duty. Take some time. We'll have some music playing gently in the background. Just allow the Holy Spirit to continue just impressing upon your heart the things that He wants you to take notice of. Maybe stirring your emotions so that, yes, I love God with my mind and also today I'm loving God afresh with my heart. Maybe he has challenged you. I wanna to suggest to you, you do that kind of work with the Lord before you come and do communion. Lord, what are you challenging me on? Speak with him. For some reason, I just can't get the, the, the one thing out of my mind. Lord, is that you? Okay, Lord, let, let's talk about this. And then when you get to the point where you believe that, ah. Oh, the Lord has spoken to you and now you just want to respond in faith. Man, your response is gonna be your life tomorrow. But we're gonna start off by responding by taking the Lord's Supper together in your own time. And then we'll conclude by praying together. So let's pray and then let's spend some time with the Lord. Father, we thank you for a 
well-timed reminder of the power of the gospel. For some of us, God, I trust that, man, a light went on maybe for the first time ever that this is the gospel. This is at the center of this faith called Christianity. It is about Jesus. It's not about me. And maybe for some of us, just there's a sense of God is reaching out to you and calling you to respond like that helicopter calling the person lost in the ocean to respond. And maybe now is the moment for you to do that. I encourage you to do that and then come to the table. For some of us, our response is one of just reaffirming my faith in the gospel. Lord, here's where I've gone wrong. Here's maybe where I've been legalistic like these guys. Here's maybe where I've taken non-gospel issues and, and made them gospel issues. Here where I've maybe been upset about certain things and I haven't truly got the heart of the gospel. And I repent. Lord, I knew I, I just recognized that at the center of my faith ought to be the gospel. And I don't know if I'm there. And so Jesus, on my knees, in my heart, I reaffirm you are the reason I'm here and that I have hope. And I thank you for the gospel.